thank you choir, Brother Steve, what a joy it is to see them back there, and, uh, or to feel them back there, a sense that you're back there, I don't always look at you. If you would, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, for the next uh, four or five weeks, uh, I, with the exception of Father's Day, I am going to camp out in the 13th chapter of Hebrews. And so uh, study up, read, and follow along uh, in this wonderful concluding chapter to the author, the Spirit-inspired letter we know as Hebrews. We, God didn't tell us who the author was. Uh, we, we speculate a little bit, but uh, uh, that's not necessarily for us to know. The secret things belong unto the Lord, and we'll leave it there. But there's some tremendous advice about the responsibilities of believers. Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians that were struggling with the issue. Some were tempted to go back. They wanted to go back to the way of Judaism, to the way or some even saw uh, things of Judaism as being superior to Christ. And so the author of Hebrews, God inspired that author to, to write and to say, Christ is better, Christ is better, Christ is better, over and over again. That is the, the message that comes out of it. And we can live a life of faith because Christ is better. We don't have to go back. We find that true for us today, 2021, that Christ is better. We don't have to go back. There's a lot that tempts us to turn to an old way of life. But then as he concludes, whoever the author is, is they conclude this final words to the Hebrew believers and to us. We find that he's giving practical instruction. Not theory, but practical instruction. And I believe these first six verses instruct us of how to live like a Christian. You might think, preacher, that's so simple. That's so fundamental. Well, is it? Are we doing it? Let's read and see what God says in His Word. Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So may we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word and what it's given to us. May we respond as we hear it, as we expound upon it in these moments. I pray that Christ would be exalted. I pray that he would be the, the source of our life. And the only way we can live the Christian life is Jesus living it through us. But you call upon us to yield 
unto you. You call upon us to seek those things which are above. May these verses today and may these words remind us and encourage us that we would seek those things which are above, not the things of this earth. May this church be a lighthouse. May this church be a body of believers that are living the Christ life, the Christian life. Lord, if there's someone listening today that's never been born again, that's never trusted Jesus Christ to save them from their sin, and the penalty that they owed and that Jesus paid, I pray that today in faith they would look to Him for eternal salvation. Father, we pray this in the wonderful name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Light is something that uh, uh, it can have a dramatic effect upon everything that it touches. Light in a lighthouse warns ships that there's danger out there, a coastline. Emergency lights on a, an ambulance warns the surrounding drivers that, that there's an ambulance coming and he's at high speed more than likely. Light speaks of security. It speaks of reassurance. When we're in a dark house and we hear an unfamiliar sound, we look to turn on the light. Light is wonderful. And our Lord used light as a descriptor of the believers, of those who knew Christ. Jesus Himself said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. But then what a tremendous compliment in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus said there, you are the light of the world. That begs the question this morning, how much light am I giving off? How much am I radiating the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ? Light does not run from darkness. Light dispels darkness. And so as we come together as the body of Christ, as a local body of believers, trusting in Jesus Christ, we have in common that our faith is in Christ. We believe He's the one who died for our sin. He paid the debt that we owed. He was buried and raised the third day. We are saved because of Jesus and we are bound together because of Jesus. And we are called to radiate His light. We are called to live the Christ life. How much are we doing that? This concluding chapter seems somewhat, these verses almost seem disconnected. Just random thoughts. Some have offered to call it that. But regardless, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is from God. And so what's He saying here? What is the, uh, the message that he has for us? Well, it's a practical instruction about living the Christian life. And there are three key thoughts, or the way that I want to arrange these words out of these verses, three key thoughts of how we live the Christian life. Three easy to remember words. Loving, caring, and valuing. Loving, Caring and valuing. First, loving. 
In verse 1, he says, let brotherly love continue. You know how we are going to influence society? How we are going to influence the darkness? Let brotherly love continue. Because Christ indwells you. If you've been born again, if you're a believer, and Christ indwells you, then you, my friend, have been given the love of the Lord. He's shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. You have the capacity to love. And we are to have a love that, that, that are with ties that are stronger than family ties. Love that binds us together stronger. Jesus talked about that. He said, if you don't love me greater than you love mother or father. He wouldn't say, hate your parents, hate your siblings, hate your children. He wasn't saying those things. He was saying, the love you are to have for me is a stronger love. And so God inspires this word at the conclusion of the book of Hebrews. Let brotherly love. Each believer is to have a concern for fellow believers. What is it that makes a church unique? We have all of these social gatherings, and we just happen to have a, I started to say a steeple on top, but I forget. (laughs) But, But what is it that makes us unique? Well, Jesus answers that, John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Christians are to love one another. But notice in that verse, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. You know what that tells us? that it's possible for it to cease. How tragic. How sad. But yet how true so often. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love can be broken. It's not enough to feel a loving sentiment toward others at the start of your Christian journey, at the start of your walk of faith, but then as, you know, uh, oh, to dwell above with those we love, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints, we know that'll be a, that's another story. We get to know one another sometimes. But he's calling for us to continue in that. Continued love for the brethren. You know what? Even when personalities clash, even when there are differences of viewpoint, do you harbor ill will toward a brother or sister in this body, in this room this morning. Be honest with yourself. Be honest before God. He already knows. That's not letting brotherly love continue. The church is to be light in a dark world. How can we ever tell a lost person about the love of Christ if we can't love our brother whom we have seen? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10 tells us that loving the brethren is one of the evidences of being born again, of being a Christian, of being 
a believer. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. 1 John 3, verse 10. Do you harbor ill will toward a brother or sister in this room, in this body, a part of this church? Could your actions be keeping someone else from being a part of this body because you harbor something against them? The world loves, and we know that the world loves, but it's a superficial kind of love. The world loves in a way that that so often says, I love you because you do this. I love you as long as this takes place. It's an if-so type of love. If you do this, therefore or so, I will love you. I can tell you, that's not the way a church, God's church, is to take place. The world loves, but with a superficial kind of love. And so often it's only practiced when there's a benefit. I heard a story about a very wealthy man that once gave big parties. and People would come to those parties from far and wide to to be a part of what this wealthy man was giving. But then he fell ill as he got older and nobody was ever around. There were no more parties, so there were no more people. I wonder if that's not a metaphor for what's happening in a lot of churches today. As long as everything's big and and there's a lot of giving going on, folks are attracted. Folks come. Let, Let there be an illness. Let there be something in the health of the church family. And people begin to drop out. People begin to go the other way. Living like a Christian. Now that means loving. Let brotherly love continue. Secondly, caring, verses 2 and 3, speak to the issue of the responsibilities in the community of believers. And we know the bond of believers within the local church. We've seen the responsibilities in the church continue loving one another. Now the responsibilities in the community. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. He's not saying throw a party for them and have music and such. What's he talking about when he says entertain strangers? One version says do not neglect to show love of guests, love of strangers. We know that in, in the New Testament times they didn't have Motel 6. They didn't have uh, Holiday Inn Express. Um, when itinerant ministers would go from place to place ministering, often the way they were cared for was the love and the, the hospitality of the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. Might never, never have met them, didn't know them, but they ministered to them and they cared for them. And so he's talking about caring. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Caring for those you may not know. Caring for those uh, that, that, that have need. Showing, using your home to show Christian love. It's a great danger when we believe that the church can only be the church when it's within the four walls of a building. Here we see that the home is to be a ministry outpost in caring for the needs of others, caring for the needy, if if, if you will. 
It doesn't mean that Christians are just to open their homes to, to, to every thief and uh, all of those that would bring harm and danger to your family. That's not at all what this verse is saying. As a matter of fact, at the end it says, For doing so, some have entertained or uh, have unwittingly, unknowingly entertained angels. The word angel is often translated messenger. And so I, I think a good interpretation of verse 2 here is that he's talking about those that help to proclaim the gospel message going forth. Those that have needs within our community. And we show that. We, we, we show love in that manner. The Christian home should be a center of hospitality. Uh, these years of, of, of our society seem to be growing more and more to a closed atmosphere that we, you know, my, my home is my castle. Don't, nobody can be there or anything. Don't you mess with my, my, my castle. That's not what the New Testament seems to be teaching. That our homes are a ministry center. Evangelism should be foremost in our thoughts and how we can use our home. Can I ask you a, a personal question? Have you entertained, have you invited any young Christian couple into your home? Over the past year, I know we've had a pandemic and such, but we go back a few years before, the, before we knew of that germ. Have you done anything to invite a non-Christian for dinner, out for lunch? Have you ministered in this manner? It's the ministry of hospitality. He goes on to say that you, some have unwittingly entertained messengers. That seems to make more sense here, entertaining a special messenger from God that may teach you some wonderful lessons in the home. Caring for those in need, verse 2. But, but as he talks about caring in verse 3, caring for those who are hurting, those who are suffering. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. We have developed a theology and a wrong theology of outcasts we want to cast out the downtrodden we want to throw away those that have fallen upon difficult times suffering remember the prisoners i don't take this as a text it says that every christian ought to be going to the prisons necessarily there are those that are equipped uh, to handle such as that that are called to go into those ministry outposts and to minister in such a way. But what a tremendous blessing it is to find a way to hurt those who've been hurt. And while certainly our prisons are filled with those that deserve to be there because of crimes that they've committed against humanity, we understand that. But yet even at that, is God's grace not able to reach even the hardest of convicts? Praise God that it reached me and it reached you. Christians are to remember others who are being persecuted by slander, by mocking, by, by, by loss of jobs, by destruction of their homes, by imprisonment. Many that have, not just in our, not in our nation necessarily, but around the world, that have taken a stand for Christ. You want to live like a Christian. You care for those who are suffering. Do you have a burden for the suffering? Have you prayed 
lately for someone that's hurt, someone that's going through a difficult time. The Word of God speaks to this in more places than just this isolated text. Jesus said this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Again, in the scripture, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, inspired of God, one Christian cannot suffer without the whole body suffering. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Have we learned how to sympathize and empathize with brethren, with brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12 and verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You want to live the Christian life, then learn to care for someone besides yourself. We are so nearsighted. We only want that which benefits us. And it's it's translated into churches. We want the comfort that benefits us. Not getting beyond our comfort zone to go and reach others. Paul told the Galatians, Bear one another's burdens, for in doing so you fulfill the law of Christ. What's it mean to be spiritual from a practical standpoint? It means to bear one another's burdens. I'm telling you, that's hard work. We're called to it as believers in the 1700s, late 1700s, probably the best date, 1772, John Fawcett wrote a hymn. He was a Methodist-influenced Baptist. John Fawcett wrote a hymn that we sing occasionally, but I think we've forgotten one of these verses. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Listen. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, Often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. I'd rather tell a lie than to sing one. Have you sung Blessed Be the Time? In that second verse, we share our mutual woes. Do we? Caring is a way that we live the Christian life. Loving, let brotherly love continue. How have you shown love? How have you shown care? Then, verses 4 through 6, valuing. Valuing. Here's our responsibility in the home. Marriage is honorable among all. First, he's speaking about valuing marriage. One testimony of the church that ought to resound loud and clear is that we believe in God's institution of marriage. God ordained marriage and we should stand with every element of it and not blur the line. Marriage is honorable above all. 
Christians above all people ought to recognize the divine institution of marriage. The census, the most recent government census in the United States recently revealed that divorce is down. And they're all excited. Divorce is down. And that is a good thing. Well, let me tell you why divorce is down. Because cohabitation is up. Because marriage is down. In 1990, there were 9.8 marriages for every 1,000 people in the United States. I don't know how some of you statisticians can figure that percentage out. 9.8 per 1,000 in 1990. 2019, almost 30 years later, 6.3 per 1,000. That's, I'm thinking that's a, a pretty strong decrease. Marriage is on the decline, therefore divorce is on the decline. God's Word says that marriage is honorable. Study the word honorable. In essence, we could say God puts His stamp of approval on it. We as a church should do the same. I hold the conviction that when I am invited to be a part of a marriage union, that it's a man and a woman, obviously, that God has brought together. And I tell them at the beginning that I, I'd never marry people who don't intend to stay married. I've never had anybody yet tell me they, they don't. But I don't, I don't want to marry somebody that says this is just a trial. I never marry people that are not believers. Both do not be unequally yoked. Some, I believe, may have lied and such. They'll tell you, but it gives you a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel. And I don't marry people that don't want to be a part of the church. I'm not a marrying Sam. I don't think that ought to be any local church pastor's job just to marry everybody that comes around. I've married a bunch that lied to me, <laughs> lied to God, and they don't come back to church. But marriage is honorable. It's a glorious platform to live like a Christian. Look what he says next in verse 4. And the bed undefiled. Or the old King James says, well, essentially the same thing. Speaking of the sexual intimacy within marriage. You say, preacher, that ought not be said at church. Folks, I'm telling you, if we don't take a stand on what the Bible says about that, the world will continue twisting it. Now we've got the blending of genders and all of this stuff. I can solve that in about two seconds. It involves just taking a look. You figure that out if you don't follow me. How, how wrong we've become as a society. But we're not following the cues of this society, are we? We're following what our Lord has to say. The bed is undefiled. Uh, within the bonds of matrimony... In the bonds of marriage, the sexual union is good, it's right, it's healthy, and it's holy. And that's what the Word of God says. And we shouldn't allow the perversion, we shouldn't endorse the perversion of that. We should stand and say strongly, Brother Ben's going to do it, I pray. Or, or he'll move on, I guess, if he doesn't. But, but Brother Ben's going to say that, that, that to young people, to teenagers, that sex is reserved for marriage, not for experimentation before marriage. 
The world today is promiscuous when it comes to this matter. God says the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, that honorable union of matrimony has the blessedness or the blessing of God of the intimacy within a marriage for procreation, for joy, for intimacy. Precious memories (laughs) for all of those things for some of you, us. And then look what else he says has to say in verse 5. Verse 4, But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God has so undertaken the sacredness of marriage that He unrelentingly judges. I don't know all of the form that this judgment takes. Some have offered solutions to this. But I simply know this, that God is not pleased premaritally, or outside of the bonds of marriage. Immorality may go unpunished by men, but God will execute judgment in His time as well. Some want to say, well, boys will be boys. Girls will just be teenagers. they got to sow their wild oats. No, my friend. And we as a church should take a stand on what the Word of God says in this manner. Valuing marriage. Do you value marriage? What are you doing to strengthen your marriage? Husbands? Wives? What are you doing to increase the flow of love between your husband and wife? Between husband and wife. I heard the story, I'm sure you've heard it years ago, of Ma and Paul riding down the road in an old pickup truck. Been married many years, but Ma's over there thinking, and she finally says, Paul, you know, I've been thinking. He said, yeah, what? We're not as close as we used to be. They're sitting on opposite sides of the truck. Paul said, I didn't move. (laughs) That's the way a lot of us think of it, isn't it? I hadn't moved. But have we? Have we gone astray? Do you value marriage? And then valuing contentment. Verses 5 and 6, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your behavior, let your way of life be free from the love of money. Be content with such things as you have. What is the spirit of our age in America? Materialism. Getting all you can, canning all you get. Many homes have been destroyed because of a lack of contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is having what you need, not necessarily what you want. We are in a luxury living age. We're trying to impress people we don't know with money we don't have. To have money in itself is not wrong. He says here uh, in in 1 Timothy 6, it is the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. That's the Word of God. Many a home has been broken because of the love of money. There may not have been an adulterous affair outside, but there's been an affair with work. There's been an affair with money. There's been an affair with things. Paul told Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope 
on the uncertainty of riches, but to fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley said, Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. My wife was a great teacher to my boys. I don't know if they're following it or not, but she taught them the 80-10-10 principle. Of your income, 100% of what you get, with 80% of it, pay your bills. With 10% of it, set it aside for savings. And with 10% of it, give it away unto the Lord through His church. How many of us here today are faithful in that matter of giving unto the Lord? a good call to this of uh, uh, you want to live like a Christian then be faithful unto the Lord this isn't a plea for more money it's a plea for more obedience unto the Lord be content with what God has given you Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4 not that I speak from want for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Valuing not only marriage, but, but, but one, one enemy of marriage is discontent. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying here, value contentment. He quotes scripture. As he says, he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you think you don't have what you ought to have and you need more, it's a sign to say to God, you failed, God. I've got to get more. You've not given me enough. That's discontentment. That's not living like a Christian as the Scripture teaches. There's a story, a true story, of some missionaries that served in South, uh, a South Sea uh, island where the sea level would often be such when the tide would come in, it would flood the, the huts. And the missionary couple that lived there lived right alongside the natives. And they built houses or huts that were on stilts. They only had three sources of food, one of which was coconut. And they had to make so many meals out of coconut. Whatever furniture they had was made from the bamboo that grew rapidly in, 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 in on the island, increasingly on the island. And, and finally they were home telling their story and somebody said, how can you live like that? And the missionary responded, we have everything we need. The problem in America is that we want a lot of things that we don't need. Verse 5, he concludes, So I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a quote from Joshua 1 and verse 5. If we have Christ, what more could we want? He'll not leave us or forsake us. Even when I fail Him, He'll not leave me. He'll not leave you. That's His grace. And then he quotes Psalm 118 in verse 6. At verse six in verse 6. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? You want to live like a Christian, then learn to love. Let brotherly love continue. Learn to care. Care for, for, for those 
that are in need. Use your home to be hospitable and to care for others. Go, go to those that are suffering, prisoners, and those that are in prison for the faith that we might be concerned about persecution of believers around the world. And then value marriage. In your own marriage, you have a platform. Folks, what will help this church more than anything is not some well-to-do speaker or anything from the pulpit alone. It can certainly hurt the church, but from the pulpit alone. What will help this church, what will strengthen this church is when we together, collectively, are lights unto a dark world, shining forth. Loving and caring. Are you living like a Christian? If you've never been born again, that means that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, recognizing that you're a sinner. And your sin is, the wages of that is death, eternal death, eternal separation from Almighty God, Holy God. If you've never believed upon Him, just being a member of a church, as we see, we have a lot of members, I'm not certain, How many of them are living like Christians? How many of them genuinely are? But if you've never been born again this morning, look to Jesus. You can't live like a Christian until you trust Him as your Savior and you've been born again. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to be our convincer. We've read your word. We've we've spoken to it. Father, may we allow you to work in each of our hearts and each of our lives. May we live like Christ would have us to live. May we value the things that you value. And certainly the home today is being attacked by the adversary in so many uh, angles, so many different ways. God, help us. May we as believers... Give off your light. I pray for the lost to be saved. I pray for the saved, Lord, for us to commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. May we live like Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.